Band of Brothers. I don't know, has anybody seen Band of Brothers before? You guys can appreciate World War II, kind of follows uh, a uh, group of paratroopers and their exploits. Uh, one of the things that's really neat to me about the show is it actually gives interviews with the men who they are portraying on, on TV, and it's pretty powerful to me uh, to watch that. And I just actually finished watching that a couple weeks ago, and towards the end of that series, there is a, an episode called Why We Fight. And some of you may remember that one. It's when the American troops are starting to enter into and occupy Germany. More and more German troops are surrendering. So like 300,000 troops surrendering at once. And so the American troopers are kind of exploring their talk and they're like, what? why in the world? You know, for all of this, all of this pain, all of this heartache, all of this death, what, what was it all for? You know, what, why, why did people do this? Like, what were they thinking? What was going on here? What was going through their minds that caused them to think that this was a good idea to try to take over the world, you know, for, the, for their own common good? And, and, and why, why, why are we here? You know, kind of that exploration. Well, that idea becomes a lot more poignant by the end of the episode because they stumble across one of the first concentration camps that are found during this entire thing. And then the answer to why we fight became a lot more poignant as the episode went on because then they realized, you know, it wasn't just about self-defense. It wasn't just about national identity. It wasn't just about um, allies. It wasn't just about, you know, fighting this other country. It was about defeating and evil that was perpetuated by this idea that people had bought, onto, it bought into, their hearts and their minds were corrupted into thinking that they were a superior race. And, and you look at that, and, it, and it's easy for me, and maybe it is for you, or maybe, maybe you're uh, you know, more complex in your thinking than I am, but it's easy for me to look at that and just be incredulous at how in the world do you get to that point? How in the world do you get to that point in your life where you look around at everybody else and think, well, we're, we're superior enough that we need to conquer everyone else and that there are some people who are not even worth to leave alive? And what were they thinking? How could they think that this was a common good? Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, the, one of the reasons we study history is so we don't repeat it, right? So you can study those things and you can trace that. You can pull that thread and understand those things because it gives clues into how we operate as human beings. And to me, what this brings really sharply into focus is that the countries and governments and kingdoms of this world that have existed throughout centuries, they aren't just ambiguous entities that exist separate from the individuals that make them up. Kingdoms are made of citizens. And that may seem like kind of a duh moment. Of course, duh, you know, kingdoms are made up of people. Um, but the role of a citizen comes along with rights and responsibilities. And it matters where those rights and responsibilities come from. Now, I think you have to go a decent far enough, you know, point back in history for this to become a little bit more readily apparent, at least for us, because we live in such luxurious situations and lives in comparison to most people ever have in the past. And so the way that we think about roles and responsibilities in a country that we live in is a little bit different than how it's been thought of in, in the past. We're a little bit more separated from that. We, it's not a regular part of our thinking. Maybe for some of us it is. For most of it, it, it isn't. I would hazard a guess, for example, unless you are in the process of immigrating and attempting to become a U.S. citizen here in the country, you probably could not list off by memory, the rights and responsibilities of a U.S. citizen. Now, so, like, don't stand up and like, start rattling off if you know it. I mean, that, that's, that's great if, if you can, but I would guess that most of us cannot do that this morning. Um, <clears throat> and yet, those are one of the things, theoretically, that bind all of us together with a common purpose. But here's the catch. 
being a faithful citizen and knowing your roles and your, your rights and your responsibilities in your kingdom isn't enough if all of it is built on the wrong premise. And sometimes it's not all, all immediately clear whether or not our kingdom or our country's premises, our, our rights and responsibilities are built on the wrong thing. So it's easy to get caught up in things that sound really good to us, but in and of themselves are not strong enough to give lasting purpose and meaning and goodness. For example, no one is going to argue against the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? I, I don't think anybody in here, I, I can think of some world leaders that would argue against that, but I don't think anybody in here would argue against that. But we do have people that argue incessantly about what that means and how that practically is applied in our lives. The ideas behind that shift philosophically with what people put their hope and faith and trust in. And if it's not a shared worldview, the separation division becomes more and more apparent. Common knowledge becomes less common. Common sense becomes less sensical. So as much as rights and responsibilities of citizenships, citizenship is important, even more important than rights and responsibilities are the foundation upon which they are built. And that's where we find unity, and that's where we find shared purpose. And the kingdom of God works in the same way. Have you ever wondered why there are so many denominations? I, I think in the United States there are like 200 denominations. So right now, um, when you think of people going to a Christian church on a Sunday morning, there are so many different options, especially you're in the South in Richmond. I mean, I, I've talked with people who are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a church. Oh, that, well, that's cool. You know, I've, I've been looking for two years. It's like, what? Well, all right. Well, maybe you're not looking for a church, first of all. Uh, second of all, it's kind of like, that's how many options there are. I mean, there's so many different places that you, you could go. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why are there so many different thoughts and ideas? Well, it's because there's been so many differing responses to the influence of other priorities and other kingdoms in the church. Now, some, if you look at church history, some of those have been good corrective responses uh, to the church. Some have been the result of bad theology. Some are preference-based. Some are more nationally uh, identity-based. And the result is that Christianity becomes harder and harder to recognize, especially because Jesus says that we're going to recognize him based on our unity in John chapter 17. Now, some take that fact and think the solution is, well, we need to bring everybody under the same denomination. Like, if we could get everybody in the same type of church and have the same label, then that would fix everything. Or you could take that to another level. You know, some people think if we get everybody to vote the same way, then that would be the solution because that's really the thing that God is most concerned about. Uh, but Jesus didn't die for us to have the right label. He died so that we might be redeemed back to God and live God's best for us. And so... Our citizen, citizenship is in heaven, as Paul points out in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And like we talked about last week, we are called to live on earth as it is in heaven for God's kingdom to come and his will be done. And Jesus provides very specific teaching for how we are to internalize the foundation on which all of that is based as we live out our rights and responsibilities as citizens in the kingdom of God. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, it's, it's going to be a decent sized passage. I would love for you to open that up. There might be some things that you want to write some notes in and, um, and, and just kind of remind you of some things uh, a little bit later on in the week, especially because as we talk about this passage this morning, we're going to be looking uh, internally at ourselves as individuals. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, and this is a pretty um, uh, widely known parable of Jesus. It's called the parable of the sower in your Bible. But this morning, I want to amend that, and uh, we're going to look at it from the perspective of the parable of the soil. 
Uh, by the way, there's a garden pun in there for some of you, and uh, if you got that, you're my favorite person uh, this morning. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's get down to verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Uh, that's kind of an interesting response from Jesus here. Uh, the, it might sound like Jesus is teaching in such a way so that people won't understand what he's talking about. That's not quite what Jesus is getting at. Um, he's got a clue a little bit earlier when he teaches this, this parable, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, he's talking more about the condition of our hearts and whether or not we are prepped to hear and not just hear, but listen to what Jesus is saying and put those things into practice in our life. Even more importantly, as Jesus goes through this parable and, dis and explains exactly to his disciples what he means by it, we're given insight into the effectiveness of the good news of the kingdom of God by how people are prepared to hear it. And so Jesus continues on to explain exactly what the parable means, starting in verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. It makes it really easy for us. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So as Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, he identifies very clearly where this good news comes from, and it comes from God's word. And one of the most important things for, understand, for us to understand as our role as citizens within the kingdom of God is that the foundation of that citizenship is Jesus and God's word, which we have preserved for us in the form of our Bibles. Jesus is the word became flesh who dwelt among us, as John points out in his gospel in John chapter 1. And this word that Luke uses here, the, the seed is the word of God, is the same word that John uses to describe Jesus, logos. And, and so Jesus is the word, he became flesh, and he is speaking and he's, he is teaching God's word for us. And where do we find that? Where is it preserved for us? It is preserved for us within God's word, the Bible, scripture. The transformative power of hearing, knowing, and living God's word cannot be understated, and it is how we know what to do as citizens in God's kingdom. It's no surprise that reading the Bible is the number one predictor of spiritual maturity and that the lives of Christians who do not engage in the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives as non-believers. Unfortunately, most Christians do not, statistically speaking, do not engage with the Bible regularly, um, maybe not even at all during the week. 
And yet our role as citizens of the kingdom of God and consequently our experience of the goodness of the kingdom of God and the best life that we're meant to experience through him is directly correlated to our knowledge and practice. It's not just about knowledge retention, but it's also about putting into practice of God's word. And so how we live as citizens has to do with how we prepare to be citizens within the kingdom. So enter into this parable of the soil in which we could kind of shrug and say, um, yeah, it do be like that sometimes. You know, sometimes the soil isn't that great and it doesn't work. You know, we're kind of, we're tossing seed out there. We're trying to, you know, because a lot of times we read this and maybe we put ourselves in the position of the sower. Um, and, but remember, we're, we're amending this into calling it the parable of the soil this morning uh, because we are going to take a look at ourselves. Um, so some people will, you know, look at that and, you know, be like, oh, oh well, that's just kind of what happens sometimes. Or the flip side of that is we could take responsibility for the condition of our own soil, namely the conditions of our own hearts and our own minds and how we cultivate the word of God in our lives so that we might be productive citizens in the kingdom. I don't know if you've done much gardening or trying to grow food here in Virginia. We, this is year three for us. We're trying to do a serious garden. Spent some time tilling yesterday, um, not because I was preaching about the parable of soil this morning, but just how, how, how it has worked out. And uh, chances are that if you're in Virginia, you've tried to do any kind of serious gardening, you've run into some clay, you know, um, because we, we certainly have. And the other thing you'll run into, at least in our soil, is uh, rock, too. And, um, and when that clay gets baked in the sun, it gets really hard, and, and we, we got weeds all over the place because it's humid here. All kinds of stuff grow in, in Virginia, which is great. We, we, we love that. I get rocks that are about this big. Uh, in fact, one of the tines, a piece of one of the tines of my tiller broke off uh, because we, our, our soil, we've got so many rocks in there. It's crazy. So when I read this parable, I look at this and say, I, I have lived some of these things. Like I know, I kind of know what Jesus is talking about, but not, maybe not all of us have that, have that experience um, and learn how to deal with, with each of these things. But before we take a, a brief look at each of those and kind of talk about what they mean, what we, they mean for us and how we um, look at ourselves, uh, look internally at ourselves, here, here's what I'm going to say. Um, maybe, maybe this is, uh, it shouldn't be controversial, but sometimes I think it is in the way that we think about things and, and respond to them. Um, here's what I'm going to say. We must do our part to prepare our own soil. So when I say that, I, I mean very specifically, you need to take responsibility. I need to take responsibility. Nobody else, it's nobody else's responsibility to come along and prep your soil for you. It's not my responsibility. It's not your spouse's responsibility. It's not your best friend. It's not somebody, you know, you know whoever, whoever you think it is. Maybe, um, maybe not even intentionally think that way, but maybe just kind of act that way. You know, it's somebody else's issue. They need to work on it. Um, it's our responsibility to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. We are supposed to help each other. Have I been helped through my gardening process? Absolutely. I've been given wisdom. I've been given advice. People have given us tools. Uh, to, to make our gardening process easier. I mean, absolutely, people have given us seeds and plants. Absolutely. Do we help? Do we, uh, you know, do we walk alongside? No one stands alone, right? We do these things together. We help each other out. But it is our responsibility. I'm not going to sit in my yard and look at my garden and expect somebody else to come along and start working the soil. I, and I, I, can't, I can't do that. Um, that's my job. That's part of my role as living out my rights and responsibilities of a citizen on the foundation of God's word and what Jesus has done for me in partnership with the Holy Spirit. All right. So with that in mind, consider 
with me which soil might represent your heart this morning and what you might do in response. So let's take, let's take the first soil. It's the path. All right, so the path, that's that, uh, that's that interesting part of the garden, which is actually kind of necessary. You know, the path just kind of happens to happen because you need to be able to access the stuff that you're growing, right? So, so there are certain parts of your garden that are going to be trampled down, uh, that are going to get hard packed. I know for us, you know, the more the sun, sun is out, the more hard packed that becomes, brittle and crumbly, it becomes harder to work and all that kind of stuff. It gets, it gets mashed down and those kinds of things, it becomes hardened. Um, however, it doesn't mean that there's no possibility for any growth to happen there. In fact, I could go today, some of, the path, some of the paths that we have established in our garden where we have planted things, I could till that up and plant some stuff there right now. I just might have to do a little bit of extra work for it. And the extra work that we have sometimes is that sometimes we have a hard heart. Maybe you know somebody who's cynical. Maybe you're cynical and, and deal with that. I know I do sometimes. Uh, maybe somebody who's a little bit more skeptical than other people. Maybe somebody who's a little bit more self-assured in their own knowledge and how they put into pra- that into practice in their life, their reasoning ability. Uh, maybe anything that uh, maybe you know somebody who anything that challenges them is something that they automatically dismiss because they can't possibly have gotten anything wrong in their life. You know, when when Jesus says that on this soil, seed is sown, but it doesn't get into the soil because the devil comes and takes it. You know, he says the birds in the, in the first part, but he says the devil comes and takes it away. It's like, well, we can't do anything about that, right? Because the devil, the devil made me do it. It's not really how that works. And when Luke uses the word devil here, he's talking about the slanderer, the accuser, the liar. And some of the things that we get caught up into when we have a hard heart is because we believe some things that just simply aren't true. And we believe them so strongly and for so long that it hardens our heart and we don't leave ourselves open to experiencing the truth of God's word in our life. And then the other thing that hardens us up is sometimes the rain falls. And we look at the rain, we think, man, I I can't believe, uh, once again, this thing is happening in in, in our lives. And as a result of that rain, what happens to the ground, that's the path, is it softens up the ground. But you got to work it pretty soon after that, because once the sun comes out and once the wind starts blowing, all that can harden harden it up uh, really, really quickly. And sometimes the anger and the bitterness that we hold on to, the lack of forgiveness that we have in our hearts and our life allows that that ground that's been softened up by the rain to harden up a lot, a lot more quickly to get those cracks in there and don't allow us to accept what God has done to change our lives through Jesus. And so there's a couple things that we deal with. One is some of us are um, maybe even consider ourselves Christians but still deal with this, like a hard heart in the ways that we allow God's word to permeate and change our life. And so I want to encourage you, hey, let the rain soften some things up and do the hard work of getting your ground tilled up in those moments. Like, let that process that God can use and work out to the good in your life to happen. And the other thing is, I would say, is if you aren't sure if you believe in God or not, and you're here this morning, uh, my appeal to you is just, just don't dismiss it out of, t- out of hand. I would just ask for you to consider, hey, if I were to put some of these things into practice, maybe there would be some sort of result. Uh, maybe ask questions, seek answers, consider the source of those answers. Um, here's, here's the character solution to this hardness of heart, the cynicism, the skepticism maybe that we deal with sometimes. Be more curious. And be more curious about how obedience to God's word will produce the life that God's, God 
desires. All right, so we've talked, we talked about the path. Maybe you think internally, maybe, maybe that's you, or maybe that's somebody you know, and so maybe you have a different idea maybe of how to interact with, with them. Then we have the rocky ground. The rocky ground, uh, that's interesting. Uh, there, there's a, that's, a pretty, um, that's a pretty widespread type of soil uh, because that's the flaky person. Uh, that's the shallow heart. That's the person who gets super enthusiastic they have this great idea. They want everybody in, in, to implement it. And if you work with people like this, it, you know, they drive you nuts because they're like, this is the solution. This is the thing we've got to do. This is absolutely, we've got to start this right now, this week. Next week, they've completely forgotten about it. Like they've moved on. I mean, there's no staying power, right? There's, there's uh, folks who are started, you know, very excited to start doing something immediately. We'll get upset if no one wants to act on it in the same time frame, but they don't finish what they start, all right? So we all know somebody like this, maybe it's us. Following Christ is not primarily about doing what makes us feel better and to live a better life. Those things can be a byproduct. It is about glorifying God with our lives. And sometimes with a rocky ground, we, we look at things and think, oh, that's a great idea. I think that makes sense. We put it into practice for two days, and then when it doesn't work, we're like, oh, okay, well, I've I, I got to give that up. I've had, I've had way too many conversations with people like that in, in, in my life where, you know, we talk about something, we're sitting down pastoral counseling, and this is nobody here, by the way, this is at, in, a, in a previous life, um, uh, like before Velocity. And I remember sitting down and talking with this person who, who was my friend at the time, and, um, and we were talking about this thing that existed in his life, and um, for, I think he had been, you know, he, he had made a mistake, right, sin, um, about six years before. And he said, you know, for the last three weeks, I've really been praying that God will help me feel better about this thing. And, uh, and I just, I don't, he's not doing anything. And I, I remember thinking about that and thinking, you spent six years digging this hole. And in three weeks, like you expect everything to be different and changed. That's just not really how those things work. And so sometimes we dig into those things, we hit that rock and we're like, oh, we'll give up. You know, it's like immediately we're, we're done because that's too hard. We can't get through it. Um, there have been times where I've gone through the tiller in our, in our garden and it has jumped. I just told you, like, one of the rocks broke off a tine on, on, on our tiller. Uh, it jumps. It gets crazy. I, I've gone through. It gets stuck and won't go. I've gotten to the point where uh, the tiller has gone and a rock gets stuck in the tines where it jam- the engine won't even run. So I've got to turn it off real quick and, and like, break that rock out of there. I mean, sometimes it's hard work. Um, and yet we do those things because God is God and we're not. And because when we change our unbelief to belief, God saves us and rewards us even though we deserve none of it. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the shallow heart, the flaky heart is, is about feeling. It's like, well, I'm not feeling the way that I feel like I think I should. It might be because you have a wrong understanding of who God is. And it might be it's just because you've given up too soon. There's one thing that keeps us deeply rooted in this life for the life to come, and that is the mystery of the kingdom, which is the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that it gives. And so we've got to stick with it. We've got to not give it up so quickly. And so the character solution for that, for the shallow heart, for the flakiness is is faithfulness. You know, there's no no way we're getting through as citizens of the kingdom without being faithful. And that's always been a prerequisite of faith. And we've simply got to give God's word a chance to produce fruit in our life. All right, here's the next one, the third one, uh, the third negative one, and that's thorns. This is, the, uh, <clears throat> this is the crowded heart. 
This is the person who is unfocused because of how many things they have going on in their lives. Earlier this year, we did a sermon series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I would encourage you to check that out if, if this is you. One of our small group questions for this week was what was one of the strangest or silliest complaints you've gotten at work? Um, I could write a book. <laughs> uh, my favorite was years ago when somebody came up to me, and this was directly after a sermon, years ago, and, uh, and said, hey, you said this in your sermon. I mean, I didn't even make it out of the room. They said, you, you said this in your sermon, and I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I said, oh, okay. Um, and I, you know, when that happens, it's like, all right, somebody's feeling something very strongly there, so I try to, try to you know, just take a step back, because immediately, you know, I would, the way I'd love to respond is, well, don't be dumb then. You know, I, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't ever think things like that. Um, uh, but what I said was, oh, okay, well, hey, let me, let me get my Bible, and, and let me open, open it up, and I turn to the verse that I had read that thing that I said from. I said, well, here, I mean, this is, this is why I said this, because it, like, word for word, here it is right, right here in this passage of Scripture. Um, and the person just kind of looked at me funny, you know, it's kind of got the hill, head tilt and the dumbfounded look on, on the face, and I um, said, well, I, ju- I just don't believe that. Like, okay. Um, well, then, it's not about anything that I've said, right? There's something different going on, and it had to do with a family member and some problems that they had dealt with them. Uh, um, you, know, you know, it's one of those things that we, we look around sometimes, and uh, all of life's worries, riches, and pleasures, you know, they, they are in competition for our attention and for our effort in life. And there are times where we've got to choose what's going to be more important. There, there's, a, there's a list of priorities there, and we've got to determine, um, you know, what fits where. And this is the category of soil that most people in churches across the globe are in. You know, if you've ever said to yourself, yeah, I know, I know that's what I need to do. I know that's what I should do. I just can't right now. Or I just don't have time right now. Or this other thing is happening right now. And yet, you know it's something that you need to do and that you should do. And you've ever said that, like, this is, this is you and me. This is us getting choked out. Like, when we think that and when we say that, that's what's happening. Good things being corrupted are what causes us to be consumed with worry, wealth, and desire. And where there's corruption, there is, there is no fruit. The weeds choke everything out because that's all we can think about and that's all we can see. And sometimes, uh, depending on how we've prepared our soil, that's what's growing faster than anything else can. You know, it only takes one, one small thing to kind of ruin, ruin the bunch. You buy a, a pint of strawberries at the grocery store and buy one with one strawberry in there that has mold on it and, and see how long it lasts in, in, in your fridge. Uh, when I reject worry and wealth and desires in my heart that are not consistent with God's heart, I become willing to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. And those then become my priorities and I become less choked out by the temporal things of this world. And so the character solution for those who are stuck in the thorny soil is to take a breath. I almost said calm down. Nobody ever calms down when you say to calm down, but you got to calm down. Take a breath and take inventory of your perspective and ask yourself, what is true? What is true in this moment? What is right? What is noble? What is, what is praiseworthy? 
That is the guidepost for perspective, and that truth is going to be from Jesus and God's Word. Finally, we come to the good soil, and what does that look like? Well, that's the fruitful heart. That's the one that looks like Jesus, um, and it takes humility for us to have that kind of soil and that kind of heart. You can tell good soil by the fruit that it bears. The Word of God does not come back empty when it is heard and listened to in your life. Heard and listening, well, that's the same thing. No, it's not. I can hear something and not listen to it. We've got to hear it and listen to it. The greatest joy that you will experience this side of heaven is being part of producing a crop for the kingdom of God. The better your soil, the less you focused your life becomes. And that becomes the marker of a good soil. Uh, Because the soil does not exist for itself. The soil is there to bear good fruit from the crop that is planted. The better your soil, the more eternal your perspective becomes. The better your soil, the more your existence shifts shifts from the moment. It's like, okay, well, the seed is not going to grow immediately. It shifts from the moment to the foundation on which our purpose and meaning and joy rest as citizens of the kingdom, the foundation of the Word of God. And so I just want you to consider a couple things this week. Which kind of soil are you? And which kind of soil are you cultivating in your life? So where are you now? And where are you headed? See, our soil, you know, it, it's, it's good. Like, we grow stuff. It's not perfect. And we, we have to do things to, to amend that soil. And we, have, we do things to plan ahead for that. We've got a compost pile that we're planning ahead to be able to put back into that soil. I mean, things that we're doing that we're looking ahead for that. So what kind of soil are you? What are you, what are you cultivating? Becoming a citizen of God's kingdom includes rights and responsibilities that we enjoy and partner with God in. But not if we are not prepping our hearts for his word to grow in us and through us. So let me read that description one last time from Luke chapter 8 that Jesus gives, verse 15, uh, for the good soil. But the seed on good soil, and I would encourage you to, um, to this week look at that verse. Maybe, maybe write it down, remind yourself of it each day this week. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So here's, here's what I want to ask you, when I, what I want to ask you to do very practically, very specifically this week. Um, I just want to ask you to read, read your Bible. That's, that's the ask this morning, is to read your Bible. Spend some time. I'm, I'm not going to put on you a time of day. I'm not going to put on you a time frame. I'm not going to say, you know, you need to read for 30 minutes. You need to read five chapters. You need to, you know, do it in the morning. I don't care when you do it. I don't care how long you do it. Um, I just want to encourage you, read, read the Bible. I don't care if it's a different passage every day or if it's the same passage, whatever it is. I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. And when you do that, I'll, I'll give you a couple things to do a, as you do that, okay? Um, when you read your Bible, just think of it very simply in this way. Read it. Think about it. Pray about it. And then live it out. That's it. Read, think, pray, live. Very simply, this is how we tend our soil. This is how we cultivate God's word in our heart. And this is how we bear fruit in our rights and responsibilities as citizens of the kingdom. This morning, uh, maybe, uh, maybe there's some of us who are not citizens of the kingdom yet, and uh, maybe we're, we're not at that point where we're ready to go all in with Jesus, and we haven't said, you know, I- I'm, I'm ready for Jesus to be Savior and Lord of my life. Um, and I just want to let you know, like, that, that is a process in which we are here to help you with. And we want to be a part of those conversations. And whatever questions you have, whatever doubts, whatever concerns, whatever skepticism you may have, like, this is a place where you can deal with those things. 
Um, and, and we want to invite you into that. But very simply, I just want to, this is just kind of one of those reminder things for those of us who are already citizens, but maybe you're not one, and, uh, and, and this will be good, good for you. Just what, what does it look like to become a citizen of the kingdom of God? Um, and that is simply to have faith that God is God, he is our creator, that he sent Jesus to save us from our sins, to confess that truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior, to repent and to recognize that it is our sin that separates us from God, and that's what keeps us from the relationship he desires from us, to be baptized, which is simply entering into that same picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the start of a brand new life in him, and, uh, and then, to, then to cultivate our soil and to be disciples of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that even more next week, what it looks like to actually bear the fruit that God calls us to and why that is so life-changing, both here and for the life to come. Let's pray. God, we come into um, this room, we come into our relationships, we come into our roles, our rights and responsibilities with um, with all kinds of things in our life, so many different things in our soil. Some of them are good things. They're nutrients uh, that we've picked a, uh, up along the way uh, that we've put into our lives. Some of them are not. Some of them are weeds. Uh, some of them are rocks. Some of them are, are just hard, trampled down soil. And we just ask that you soften us up through your word, that you prepare us for who you have called us to be, who you've created us to be, the goodness that you have called us to be able to experience in this life, to be prepared for the life to come. God, we ask that you, um, through your Holy Spirit, that you continue to um, help us to be the people that, that you want us to be, that, to experience your best for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.